Hello and welcome to the Statesman Sports Desk Podcast. I am Dalton Renshaw. As always, I am here with Jason Walker. Jason, what's got you fired up today? At the moment, <laughs> the thought of the discussion we were having seconds before we started this, but it, <laughs> it lacks context for any of our listeners right now. So, so yeah, let's give you guys a little context. Because here we're, we're here today to talk about um, some Utah statements, hoops, and also a little football discussion on the back end of this podcast. But um, we started kind of getting into a, a conversation before we hit record about um, the... Well, well, actually, we were talking about a bunch of things. We talked for 42 minutes about yeah, we a talked lot of <laughs> And then we finally started talking. That's kind of our normal process, though. We come in here, we do some planning, we look at some some stories, some stats, and all that stuff, and kind of get get us on our way. But um, we, were t- we were talking about uh, the officiating, and then that kind of led us into what you were going to talk about. Um, <laughs> so I'll kind of give you the floor after but I kind of... It doesn't really have to do with college basketball. Well, right. I mean, it, it ties back to my high school officiating days, which... Consequently, there's one guy who asked me my credentials to talk sports, and I, was, I listed that as one of my things. I'm a former <laughs> soccer and basketball writer. I was like, what are my highest qualifications to talk it, sports? It counts for something. That's... It counts for something, but it was, like, it was like the second time that guy had asked me about uh, um, what my credentials were, like yeah. my qualification. I was like, dude, stop. <laughs> I mean, you don't always have to have a perfect qualification sometimes yeah and the qualify like kendrick perkins played in the nba for how many years and how much of right. an idiot is he is <laughs> as an analyst that's a good, very, very like good point fine basketball player at least in his time as a role player went up but a complete idiot in terms of analysis yeah no yeah but he let's be honest he's he's kind of a just a twitter troll and a and a, and a, a personality <laughs> troll yeah he likes well, to stir things up but anyways and that's fine that's 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 an archetype for an analyst but anyway um, so the, the thing I pointed out uh, to Dollar and I mentioned is that against Boise State, Utah State shot 35 free throws, and against Colorado State, they shot four. But that again tied back into the fact there was a Boise State writer for, um, his name is B.J. Rains. I can't remember which Idaho paper he writes for. I want to say the Idaho Statesman, or it's either that or the Idaho State Journal or something like that. It's one of those sure. two. I, I can't remember exactly which one. But he tweeted something about, you know, one of the referees, came if it was the head referee or just one of them, doesn't referee a whole lot of games, which that shouldn't be an argument because, you know, it's got to be more based off his grade. I don't know if he doesn't do games because he's busy. Maybe he does, you know, he has a, sometimes, right. a lot of times, these are part-time jobs. And and if you didn't see the game or don't know what we're talking about, uh, the whole conversation comes from, like you mentioned a, a second ago, there's 49 fouls in that game. Yeah. A lot of people had problems with officiating. And so this is something that he brought up. Yeah, and so it was really bad for both sides. You know, Sam Merrill got into foul trouble. It pretty much kept him from reaching the 2,000-point mark, getting all the sentimental stuff on scoring 2,000 points. Um, 55 years to the day when Wayne Estes did it and also tragically died. They had the Wayne Estes tribute right before, you know, showing the clip of his final shot of his career and of his life, unfortunately. Um, which that ended up being pretty much all that they ruined for Utah State. Utah State still won the game, and they also shot, you know, 26 more free throws than Boise State, although some of that had to do with late game fouling. You know, my thing was, the the whole thing led into what I was about to say as far as, because <laughs> the thing with Boise State might be, well, they called more fouls on Boise State. It was, so basketball reference has 27 to 21. Uh, Boise State with more fouls. Of course, that doesn't add up to 49, which I specifically remember there being 49 fouls. Because yeah. I mentioned it um on, on Twitter and stuff like that. I remember seeing that and doing the math myself. 22 in the first half, 27 in the second half. But again, six or seven more fouls for one team. But again, 
And that kind of ties back into late game fouling. But it was all leading to the point where I was about to mention, this is my rant, and again, it doesn't have anything to do with college basketball because it has a lot to do with my experience covering high school basketball. And even as a referee, you'll hear this guy yell out from the stands, six to one fouls, ref! <laughs> and that is the cue or the clue I need to know that that person yeah. doesn't know anything about refereeing at the very least, much less basketball. That's the exact tone as that person always sounds like. Yes, at least <laughs> that's what it sounds like to me. Because it, it's just like, dude, there are so many things that go into how many fouls are going to be. One, it could be the referee's just seeing more like maybe one referee who's a little more willing to call fouls. Like for me, I tend to let a lot go. For me, I've got to see something because, and that kind of ties into my own play style. I play physical. That ties into how I view the game. So that's how I referee sure. the game. It's There's a whole factor of things with Everyone myself. has their own way that they see the game. Yeah, and, and, it's, and it's based in the rules. I will call a slap on the arm the same, but maybe I'll let some of the body checking go and things like that. The small stuff, not a literal body check. Yeah. But, so <laughs> hockey <there's>, style against <laughs> the boards <laughs> yeah <clears throat> so there's that thing and maybe that referee who's calling more fouls is on the baseline for one team and keep in mind that baseline referee is going to call more because more fouls happen in the paint and things like that but then on the other end of the court you have the not the referee who doesn't call the me basically who lets yeah. a lot of fouls go the way that the referee formation works the three-man game you end up on the other side of the court, whereas I was on the top for the one team, I'm on the bottom for the other team. So then suddenly there's that. That could account for a one or two foul difference very organically. But then there's also play style of an NBA team, or a, a basketball team, not just an NBA team. You know, for Utah State, they draw more fouls based on their style of play. You know, they force teams in those situations, they go in into the paint. They also have a dominant big, which tends to draw more fouls. Mm-hmm. And they have Sam Merrow, who draws lots of fouls because he's a bit of a flopper. Well, not a bit of. He is a flopper. <laughs> so He invites contact. <laughs> he exaggerates contact. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he actually shies away from contact in the paint, but he, he exaggerates contact a lot. And so all those things will factor into that. And then there's just how good a team is. A bad team will foul a good team more because they can't play defense. So all of this factors in. And when you get this one whiny dad in the stands, goes six to one fouls, ref. <laughs> it just drives me up the freaking wall. Is this man also uh, intoxicated? Because it very much sounds like no. Because he's this... at a high school game, he <laughs> can't be intoxicated, and he's probably also Mormon because I live in Utah. So there's, <laughs> which makes it worse because he should know better. <laughs> there's, there's always people like that in in any crowd you go to, though. Because I, I vividly remember going to um, a USU football game a couple years ago. And there was somebody sitting behind us. We were in the in the south end zone, you know, the right behind the the field goal, kind of the general seating area of what used to be. And there was somebody sitting behind us the whole game. They were talking. They're they're yelling. They're you know kind of getting their two cents in the whole game. And I didn't catch most of it, but I did catch one line that made me you know like you said gave me everything I needed to know about this person. Utah State was on offense. They were wearing a Utah State shirt. This person in the crowd. And they're yelling for a pick six. <laughs> and I was like, yep, you have no idea what's going on. He was playing fantasy college basketball. And the other Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, you can learn a lot about fans as far as how much they know the game by how they criticize referees. And you know what? To some degree, 
I, I don't love all of it, but it kind of does make the game fun in a, in a sense when the you thing, get people I, like I that. I will allow for plenty of allowance for fans to yell referee, especially because there are questionable calls. Like that Boise State game, there were a few where I was like, uh, yeah, you kind of deserve that one. But, again, there were also some that were a lot in favor of Utah State. And then late in the game, there were some perfect calls, which the fans then booed. So yeah. it was like, you know, there, there's some give and take. And I have a lot of my experiences with fans, my disgust with fans, and you know, it's, and it usually has to do with refereeing. Yeah. Because it's, you know, I have a personal experience with being a referee. Sure. It also helps because I know a lot more about how refereeing works. It's not just about the rules and all that. It's about how you officiate a game. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, let's move on. This 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 all started. Talk um, about interesting things rather yeah. than my experiences and rants <laughs> about refereeing. Right. As fun as that was. Um, <laughs> it's fun for me. This all started because uh, we're going to talk about the the last three games of the Utah State, their three game winning streak, um, and kind of some some similarities and differences between the three games because, um, in in a lot of ways, they kind of had to to fight. To, to get wins in, in all three of these games, but in very different ways, com- completely different ways. Um, and so do you, do you want to just start chronologically and go with the UNLV game, or what, what do you want to dive into first? Um, well, the, th- the main thing that's a key similarity for all these games just has to be Namiya Shikeda. Mm-hmm. Less so in the Colorado State game because he got into a bit of foul trouble. Um, but against UNLV and Boise State, he posted back-to-back 21-point games. Mm-hmm. I think he even had a double-double against Colorado State, if I remember Did, correctly. yeah, 14-11. and 11. So, and so not as many points, but like he has returned to pretty much what he was last year, and even as a room protector, because earlier in the season, I began to notice that he wasn't having as many blocks, and I remember I tweeted about that, and I think the next game he had like four or five blocks. <laughs> so he did. he's done really well there, too. And it's not just about blocks, it's about just general rim protection. He had some of that, but now he's getting back. The blocks kind of show a bit of a return to athleticism and quickness. Right. Because yeah. that's what plays into a lot of those blocks he had last year was the ability to slide over, jump up, get a shot. And so we're seeing that from him. He's also a lot stronger than he was last year. Um, and that helps him in the post. And his post game is so much better. Last year, I remember in the off season, or yeah, it was last year, last calendar year, <laughs> over the summer, Rewatching all pretty much all the games, I probably watched like you watched twenty two of the thirty five games, and I remember having the impression that Numius Kata was a more of a post player and a decent post player, and and I'm rewatching those and thinking Numius Kata is not good in the post. No, and he was much more of a rim rolling prospect. Well, this year they still don't do any rim rolling with him. We've seen it in a couple games of the pick and roll. I don't know why they don't run it more often because it's been successful like every time they run it. Yeah, but. In the post, he's been absolutely dominant. Um, Which is good to see because, like you're yeah. saying, I think adding that strength in the offseason has played a big part in that because, um, at least from my memory watching him last season, one of the big things that he he couldn't really find the space he needed and get himself into the right positions. A lot of the times, you kind of get pushed out of position under the rim. And I don't know if you've been seeing the opposite of that this year, but I would imagine putting on some of that strength would definitely help you get into those better positions and kind of get you more comfortable yeah. on the rim like he has. That lack of strength hurt him more so on rebounds. He, you know, Despite, I think, you know, the 8.9 rebounds, which was one of the highest in the Mountain West last year, yeah. I would have classified him as maybe an average rebounder. Um, in college, obviously a little better, just mostly because he was 7 foot yeah. and also has a 7.5 wingspan or whatever it is. But he'd get pushed around and it would push him out of – yeah. rebounding position he was really good at boxing out but again he was big enough to box out any of the mountain west players 
But now he's going up there, grabbing rebounds, being in position, not getting pushed out nearly as much. And I've not gone back and watched as much film, but uh, I'm seeing that a lot better. And then in the post, I think part of it's footwork and a lot of it is touch. And, um, you know, also he's just managing to get in next to there. So he's not shooting sort of a five-foot hook shot. He's shooting, a, you know, just about laid-in type yeah, shot. Yeah, easier looks. But he's generally got a lot better touch on his. Last year he'd have some perfect touch shots. And I've said this about ten times in the podcast. But he'd have perfect touch on his shots or it looked like he was playing wall ball yeah. on the backboard. <laughs> So yeah. and he's he's not really done that the the wall ball thing with the backboard. It's very much the touch and you know even laying it in off the backboard deliberately on those shots. It just looks really good and he's doing a really good job. So like you said, twenty one points back to back in those games. Then he still had fourteen and eleven in the Colorado State game. He's been much much like his old self, like you're saying. And then uh, Sam Merrill kind of getting back to his old form a little bit these past three games. He had the the Boise State game. He you know went out a little bit. Didn't only play twenty three minutes, but. Um, Colorado State game, 32 points, 12 of 18 from the field, 6 of 10 from 3. Um, I mean, basically as, as good as a performance as you could hope for from Sam Merrill. Yeah, his performance to put him over 2,000 points. Granted, he I think he did that on his second shot. He only needed like four points. Um, Are you surprised he didn't just completely check himself out of the game after that? I just wanted the <laughs> 2,000 and walk out. No, he got kidding. him to 2,001, I believe. Yeah. Um, exactly. So he should have done it from the other side. He had a 3 three-pointer from the left wing should have gone and done it from Wayne Estes' spot. Um, they should Wouldn't put a, they should put a mark on the court where that is, to be honest, just to honor him. The, I don't know if you can or not, but that would be cool. I think you can. Can you? You can put stickers on the court. Like, huh. Interesting. I mean, because people put advertisers on their court. Right. You can do whatever you dang want with your court. <laughs> as long as yeah. it's 94 feet and however many feet yeah. wide, and it's got the three-point lines and the key. Yeah. All right. Why the hell not then? Um, but uh, last three games, Merrill, 23 points average, um, 53% field goal, 538. <laughs> it's an interesting number. Yeah. Uh, and then 42% from three. And one of the interesting things I've actually seen from him, and I want to actually ask Sam about this, because um, I've seen a lot of step-back jumpers, three-pointers. His 2,000-ish point, whatever got him to that three-pointer, was a step-back three-pointer, which mm. – I don't know if I've seen him shoot many step-back three-pointers. Yeah. I think he's done a few more, but, like, he's done – he'll drive him to key. He'll do a step-back mid-range. And he's he's shooting it really well. Obviously, he's just shooting really well right now overall than he was um, earlier in the season. So it seems like he's attacking the rim less. And maybe that's just an adjustment on his part. Just finding other ways to create space. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's creating space with this. And he's also hitting them. So mm. if he's hitting them, then obviously it becomes a more efficient shot. Yeah. If you're good, made if you're you know people say you know analytics says don't take a mid range shot, but in reality it still it's, counts for two points. <laughs> it's the right player shooting right. a mid range shot. A Sam Merrill mid range shot is an efficient shot, and he's able yeah. to make it. A Justin Bean mid range shot is not efficient. So he has <laughs> shy away from those. So you know it's made him a better scorer. The fact that he's now becoming a three level scorer instead of a two level scorer. He's making them from three on seven attempts per game. So and he's making three of them. And then the mid-range game, which he has, and then you have underneath, which is still an option to him, and it's where he can draw fouls and finish. He's still a really good cutter, and when he gets downhill off a screen, he can finish. That's a part of his game. So he's becoming a true three-level scorer, and it's you know he dipped below 17 points per game a, a few games ago uh, for the season. I think it was um, 
after Wyoming and San Diego State, he dipped below 17 points a game for the season. Now he's above 18 after three games. Mm. So, and granted, he's not playing the greatest competition these last three games. Sure. But still, he wasn't doing it against bad competition earlier. He had 10 points against UNLV. Granted, that was a loss. 10 points against Air Force. 12 points in a win against Nevada. But now he's opening up his scoring account a little bit more. When you look at when you look at the whole body of work that he's going to have throughout the season, um, they played a lot of their harder games, uh, you know, earlier on in the in the Mountain West schedule. So in, in some ways, you know, it's going to average out at the end where you know you're playing these lesser opponents, but you're still kind of like you're saying, increasing the average up to kind of what we expected, you know, heading into the season, averaging around 20 points a game last season. Yeah, he. I don't know if he'll break the 19 point barrier. He might. Again, when you're this late in the season, it's so hard to raise your averages just because, you know, you've played 30 games. Sure. So he may or may not, because he's 18.4 now. If he continues the way he's at, he'll probably get to 19, maybe close to 20. He's not going to break 20 points per game unless he averages like 25 yeah. from here on now. So some, somebody else who's actually been um, having a, a lot better go of it the past couple games, Diogo Brito, uh, 11 points in the Colorado State, Boise State games, and also contributed nine in the UNLV game. Um, he was, I think we've talked about it before on the podcast, he was almost a complete no-show in the first uh, couple weeks to months of the season, um, heading into Mountain West play especially. And Well, now- it was more early Mountain, like it was post-St. Catherine. Yeah. Because he was actually really good early in the season. Yeah, you're right. He was averaging some 12 to 13 points. It was the stretch from BYU up until, I mean, probably San Diego State, I'd say, where he really, I mean, his shooting numbers required a parental advisory warning. (laughs) Um, Well, this is somebody who shot 39% from three last season, was down at 26%. Yeah, like it was absurd. And I I tweeted this out during the um, Boise State game, the fact that last year, Abel Porter and Diego Beer were both essentially 40% three-point shooters. Diego Beer technically 39.6, but like, you're right there. Right. So two basically 40% three-point shooters were starting to pass up wide open threes. Yeah. But the worst part about it was that that was the right decision mm. because both of them are so awful this season from three. You'll see Abel Porter taking these wide open threes. Like, that's the shot you want, but he can't make it anymore. Like, yeah. last season, it would be a guaranteed three points. But, you know, Diogo, these last few games, I mean, against, what was it, uh, oh, two-pointers. He's actually still struggling from three, to be honest. But, you know, getting the 11 points. Utah State remains undefeated in the Craig Smith era when Diogo Brito scores double digits. <laughs> that's impressive. So that, that kind of tells you, Diogo's not really a scoring, that's not really his role. He's much more of a defender and just kind of a versatile yeah. guard. But his scoring really helps. It's gravy. Mm-hmm. And... If he ever gets his three-point range back, that's another thing is that Utah State needs three-point shooting because teams are starting to collapse in the paint. And it's, yeah. You kind of saw that against Boise State where Numiash would have like four guys on him. So he'd pass it out to Abel Porter for a wide-open three. Well, it's almost a turnover Yeah, because <laughs> they're not making it. A two of 19 um, from three in that game. Yeah, N- Nobody was contributing at all. Um, and it's it's something that they've obviously struggled with a, a ton throughout the season. We've talked about that numerous times. Um, but, yeah, if you can have players like Diogo coming around and maybe he starts to find his three-point touch a little bit. Um, but just generally being on the floor and having more of a scoring pre- presence. Because, I mean, as much as they would probably like to get the three-point shot going, 
Um, as long as you have players that are scoring in multiple ways and you have multiple players doing so, you can find ways to win, especially with the way that they rebound and play defense. They, they're going to have a chance to win in a lot of games. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, I guess that's probably a good way to just transition <laughs> out of that. Um, and I mean, we're, we're still going to stick on uh, Utah State here for just another moment um, and talk about the last four games of the schedule and kind of heading into Mountain West tournament play after that, because we're only two-ish weeks away from uh, the tournament taking place. And right now, Utah State's sitting at um, four games left on the schedule. They have Fresno State, Wyoming, San Jose State, and New Mexico. And you would look at that and think probably Fresno State's the only real difficult game on the schedule, and it's not even that difficult with them you know, having a pretty underwhelming season this season. Um, so by all accounts, they probably should win out, right? They should. The thing is, though, that gets me is the two hardest games of those four are both on the road, New Mexico and Fresno State. True. And you look at Utah State's um, time on the road this season in conference play, it's ugly. Um, all but one of their conference losses, of four losses, all on the road. The the one home loss in conference is at San Diego State, obviously. So losing by, was it, 17 to UNLV, losing to Air Force by 19, losing to Boise State on the road. You know, they're, what, they're one of two wins on the road is against Wyoming. Wyoming just sucks. <laughs> and then Colorado State, a team that they beat pretty convincingly at home, yeah, became a three-point win. Yeah. So, and I believe they were ahead for most of that game, and they generally had control, but again, it was only a three-point win. So, this is not a team who goes on the road and just gets an easy win. And that could be very important, because obviously, if they drop one of those games, um, they're tied right now uh, with Boise State in second place uh, for the conference. And Boise State's got San Diego State, which you would think is probably going to be a loss, barring some kind of miracle. Um, But then they have San Jose State, New Mexico, and UNLV the rest of the season. So there's a very good chance that they could also um, win three of those games if Utah State drops one. And then you kind of, you know, leave yourself in that tiebreaker spot, which isn't necessarily going to be crucial because the bottom half of the Mountain West is kind of poor this season. So really, if you get any one of those bottom three seeds, you're probably going to advance in the, you know, to the, the semifinals. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, obviously you want to do as much as you can to put yourself in the best position, right? Yeah, and that's the thing. If if Utah State wins out, which they very easily could, if I, if recent trends show that they're rebounding from their poor stretch, granted they're still not shooting well, so I'm not convinced that they're actually really any much better than they were yeah, a couple a of weeks point. ago. Yeah. Um, they're just playing worse competition and playing marginally better. I will say that, especially with me as Kata and the things I've talked about with Kata and uh, Brito and Sam. At a point in the season where uh, Justin Bean's kind of not really partici- or contributed as much as he had early yeah, in the I th- season I as think, well. I think Kate has had a big impact on that. And and, he, and also teams packing the paint because sure. there's no because Justin Bean thrives in the paint, cutting, getting rebounds, things like that. And he's not getting those because there's four or five guys sure. really close to the paint. There's no space for him. Yeah, so that's, all, that's all valid. Yeah. So with the schedule, you know, there's three teams tied for second. Utah State, Boise State, Nevada. Boise State, Nevada still have to play San Diego State one more time, so you assume those are losses for them. Maybe not. If, I mean, if Boise State or Nevada upset San Diego State, that yeah. could spell some real trouble for Utah State. Yeah. Because then 
if both if that say Boise State beats San Diego State, and they went out, they win a tiebreaker over Utah State if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. So, but if Utah State wins out, the odds very much are in favor of them getting the two seed. Just yeah. with the way schedules play out for all the teams below them, they have the complete tiebreaker over Colorado State. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the way things sit right now, um, if if basically Utah State was to win out, and every other team in the Mountain West kind of does what you expect them to do, um, not much would change in the way the standings are at the current moment. We'd have Utah State flop with or flip with uh, Boise flop. State. <laughs> that's, Hopefully, that's not one flop. way to describe the season. That's a uh, completely. Um, it's a 21 season. Come on, it's only our second in the Mountain West ever. Well, that would be ob- completely contradictory to what I just said of them winning the last four <laughs> games as well. Um, but so yeah, they'd pick up the number two seed um, with Boise State coming in at third, Nevada in fourth, and Colorado State in fifth um, with that final buy spot in the in the Mountain West tournament. And then so that would leave Utah State probably playing either New Mexico or San Jose State. New Mexico essentially um, in the in the first round of the Mountain West tournament. Um, and then kind of, if you look at it from there, there's only so much you can project, right? But it would probably be Utah state and Boise state again in the semifinals. Um, which I don't know, honestly, if, if you Boise wanna... state obviously plays Utah state tough, but the thing is Utah state is clearly a better team, but Boise state has just out hustled Utah yeah. state the last two times they've played them. At least if you exclude the first 16 minutes of the game on the road yeah. where Utah State just absolutely outplayed him in every way, shape, and form. That's fair. So the last 24 minutes, Boise State has outplayed Utah State, but somehow also has a loss, but also somehow has a win. Shall we move on then? Yes. Let's move on now to uh, the football side of things. Football! Who thought we'd have football in February? Oh, that's right. The XFL did. <laughs> So we have uh, a couple notes on the Utah State football team and actually real more so some of their former players now, um, that being Tipa, Naliai, Jordan, Love, and um, that's really it. I know we they have... David, uh, David Rudward is another one, but he's not really newsworthy. Yeah, he's not really making a ton of news, uh, besides the fact that he was the third of those, um, the three to get invited to the NFL Combine. Um, so we'll probably see more out of him and surrounding him when it gets closer to the Combine. Um, here towards the end of the month but um, let's start off with Tipa just a quick note on him Um, it was announced a couple days ago that he won't be able to participate in the combine uh, the drills portion of the segment or uh, of the combine and uh, it was said that he can still conduct uh, one-on-ones and team evaluations but he'll have to save the drills to Utah State's pro day um, which should be sometime in uh, the beginning of April Um, late March beginning of April if I remember correctly from last season Um, but yeah, I don't have a ton of to to say on this. Just I don't know if anybody was unaware of this. It stems from the 2017 incident um, before he transferred to Utah yeah, State. Yeah, this is pre Utah State. Yeah. It surprised me because when I saw this, I thought, "Well, what did he do?" But it was like it was like his stuff from back from TCU, which I was yeah. already aware of. And I was like, "Why? That's so long ago." I, I think most people are probably aware of it, and it it's like you say, it, it was so long and, ago that it did caught me at cap. Ugh. Caught me off guard as well because yeah. I didn't think that something like this that was a misdemeanor a couple years ago would have any impact on what he could do in the future, but apparently it does. Yeah. It's like, why would you not be able to do drills? Like, I, I, I really baffles me with some of the things that have 
um, surrounded other players in the past, whether it be uh, marijuana possession, this, this, that, or, you know, some of the things that people have gone through through the draft process and still been able to participate. I don't have all the knowledge on that. But, yeah, like you, I thought it was weird. Yeah, it's – and the thing is, Teep is a guy who could really use it. He's a guy who had a very underwhelming yeah. um, senior season. More so hurtful than Jordan Loves. Because yeah. Jordan Love could get away because he's a quarterback and had all the hype and physical right. tools. Tipa, you know, you got to have those flashy numbers. Well, I think a lot of people. I, I guess you don't really have to have the flashy numbers because actually a lot of big name prospects tend to, uh, they'll have a breakout year than an underwhelming second year because defense is focused on them. Right. So they don't get the numbers. So it'll probably just end up depending more on. Again, these kind of drills, you know, having those, you know, the the gaudy, you know, verticals, horizontal. What are all the horizontal? Drills? What I've what I've read the, so far. The verticals, horizontals. <laughs> those are called shuttle drills. Um, <laughs> and vectors. <laughs> Whatever those things are called, the forty yard dash, the weightlifting, and the the bench press, the yeah, the three cone drill, and all that. Like you want those impressive numbers, which sure. he, he'll get that at pro day, so he'll probably be okay in that way, but. Being able to show off your your physical athleticism is going to be key because you know obviously that's really all you can do at yeah. this point. What I've read so far um, surrounding him and his draft stock is it, it, a lot of people want to see him put on more weight and uh, perform well in those drills because they think he's a little bit undersized um, because he's he's a quick player but he's not necessarily an elite like edge rusher with his speed. Um, and I think he relies a lot more on good technique to be fair, but. Yeah, that, that was the biggest thing that I saw from kind of the, the experts, if you will, was saying, put on a little bit more weight. We want to see him perform well in the pro day. And then he's probably still slated to be, you know, a mid-round to late-round pick, which um, I immediate, <laughs> immediately made me think of Dax Raymond last year was that what they were saying surrounding him as well. And then yeah, obviously it goes undrafted. So you really never knew, know what these kind of things because at a position like that, which will be you know in high high supply in the draft process, yeah. well, edge rushers are all more valuable than tight ends. So you tend to see them go a little. True. Though, there's also a lot more to more a lot more to come around in the draft process. Too. Yeah, and people usually get their edge rushers in the first three rounds too. So right. maybe, it, you know, I'm not I'm not a draft expert on draft trends and things like that. I only know a few of the trends that tend to happen, which we'll get into in a minute here. Once we go to Jordan Love. I mean, we can do that right now, I guess, unless you want to keep talking. Let's just head right into it. Yeah. All right, let's do it. So Jordan Love right now, obviously getting a lot of praise uh, ever since he went down there uh, for the pro day and then now you know, surrounding everything with the NFL Combine. A lot of people are coming out, if they didn't already know about Jordan Love, starting to study some of his tape and having a lot of really good things to say about him. And so much so, in some cases that they have him uh, very high in their draft grades and very high in the projected mock drafts. So what we're going to do is kind of touch on that in a, in a couple ways. Um, one way, just by going through a couple of the mock drafts we've seen, give our thoughts on that. But we're also going to go through um, the first round and kind of some of the possible destinations that Jordan Love could end up in and kind of give a, a, a likeliness rating, if you will, yeah. uh, where he might end up. So, so I want to say this as far as there was a couple of things that yeah, I thought ahead. was interesting. There's one tweet that I thought was really interesting. I can't remember who it was, but he said that Jordan Love would probably be the only player he saw who threw into bigger windows in the NFL than in college. That was uh, um, Quincy Avery, I believe. Yeah, meaning that you know his receivers are going to be more open 
in the NFL than they were in college. Which, and to be honest, like all, all this stuff where they're talking about how Jordan Love had no help, and like that's just an absolute slap in the face to Utah State. Like the biggest slap. Like everyone who's still on team should be like that. They was here last year should be like just absolute. You know, just getting yeah. dumped on. By all these guys, like, oh, Utah State's talent sucks, all that. And it's like, holy cow, I'd be so ticked off. I, I think <laughs> I think it's a, a, a situation where probably just choose your words a little bit more wisely because, yeah, they don't have, you know, top-end SEC, Pac-12, well, whatever they're, talent. They're, they're not mean about it, but the implications are there. No, no, you're right. But just saying that, that he's going to, you know, have a lot more windows thrown into the talent that he's played around, you know, I, it's I, it's it's fine. I'm fine with the language. Like it's, if you know, if I were in that position, I'd I'd be saying the same things. Like not, but once you add it all up, yeah, with you know the talent stuff, because nobody ever really thinks about that. Because they'll say you know, uh, they'll say that about a lot of low level quarterback or well, like they, small. They made the same argument uh, for Josh Allen a couple of years ago in the draft process, yeah. and he still went as high as seven. So yeah, and, and obviously it's not an argument against Jordan. Lip, it's just like. What, what, does that, what does that say yes. about Wyoming? Exactly. Think, like that kind of same thing. So it's just like, because obviously they're not coming out and saying, oh, Utah State's wide receivers are terrible. They should stop playing college football. It's just like. It's it's kind of one of those just backhanded compliments of like, this is how good Jordan Love is. And also yeah. Utah State probably they're, they're like subpar. They're like propping up Jordan Love while shooing away all of, Correct. Yeah. All of Utah State's, the rest of the team. But so let's look at where Jordan Love is kind of slated to fall amongst some of the, you know, as you say, experts. Um, We went through and grabbed uh, a handful of people because, to be fair, this can kind of get very muddied when you start looking at the draft processes too much. Yeah, and and, well, the thing is, it's really tricky because Jordan Love, as a prospect, in my opinion, the, you know, unqualified, you know, (laughs) to to some people. um, You might not be an expert, but you did watch him all season, so you have some point of reflection on this. Generally, as a talent, where I'd slate him as far as a, you know, a draft position would be late first round into the second round. That's where he should go. If you just kind of put all the players in there, you know, if you graded every player on a scale of one to 99 and just kind of stuck them in that order. Yeah. Jordan Love would end up back of the first round, probably into the second round, maybe as late as the third round, if you're just putting it completely in a vacuum. But he can go as high as the top 10 because we're talking about quarterbacks here and how much people reach for quarterbacks. We're talking about human being GMs who will get, you know, the, maybe he'll watch, you know, a highlight reel of Jordan Love and they'll see all those deep throws and be like, oh my gosh, I have to have that. Right. And so you, you can have that kind of thing. We saw it with Daniel Jones last year. You know, he got drafted a lot higher than expected. There have been so many guys that get reached for because a coach wants that player. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of factors. Maybe that team doesn't have a pick later on. So, like, you know, there's there's so much that can go into that. But Jordan Love will get taken higher than he should if we're just putting him in a vacuum, most likely, and maybe he could fall. That's obviously a possibility. But, I mean, you look at Johnny Manziel. He got drafted, like, three rounds before he should yeah. have because <laughs> he was a quarterback and because there was hype and because the Browns. People fell in love with him. Yeah. So everybody fell in love with him. Everybody was yeah. an idiot. So, I, I say that because that's where I get to glow because I thought Johnny Menzel was a third round prospect. Ah, I see. But I've also been wrong. So, <laughs> but so, so I guess we can go through and start. Like, so as far as 
where Jordan Love is going to go. He's not going to go one, two, top five. That's where you you said before we were talking here is that he's not going top five. That's just not going to happen unless somebody decides to shock the world and take Jordan Love over over um to a Tagovailoa. Is that how you say his yeah, name? Yeah, I've only ever had to say his name out loud like three times. <laughs> so, so that's tricky. If you if you look at it right now, um, <coughs> the top five picks being. The Cincinnati Bengals, the Washington Redskins, the Detroit Lions, the New York Giants, and the Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins and Cincinnati Bengals being the two teams who glaringly need quarterbacks. And right now, Jordan Love is far and below Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa. Yeah. I think most people would agree on that. So if he did get higher than that fifth spot, that would be a tremendous reach. That would be a Daniel Jones level reach, probably. That and would then be worse some. than Daniel and Jones. And then some, exactly. Um, I mean, right now we have. Mel Kiper, he's listing him as the seventh best quarterback in the draft. I still think that you could probably make an argument for him above people like KJ Costello. Uh, yeah, who are the Jacob other ones? I don't, I don't. You mentioned he's seventh. I, w- I want to see this list. Here. So the list going from one to seven is Joe Burrow, obviously at number one. Tua Tagovailoa at number two. Justin Herbert, which makes some sense at number three. You have Jacob Eason at Washington or from Washington at number four, which is a little bit. That's of, a bit of a system there. It is a bit of a system. It's a bit of you know kind or no, of. No, I was thinking Washington State. Never mind. No, but it is but, a bit. But of, still, kind of. It's it's a lot more of the tools thing. Let's see what we can develop. Uh, Jake from obviously from Georgia had a pretty good college career, but maybe mm. I would still say doesn't have as many tools as Jordan Love does. And then he's, same with KJ. Costello. He's a high floor, low ceiling guy. I I exactly. He's definitely gonna be one of those people very similar to you at Georgia, where you get him into the program or you get him into the team, and if you have good pieces around him, it's he like, will bring you success. He's like AJ McCarron. That's probably. Whatever oh, happened to AJ McCarron? He got traded to the Raiders. League. Yeah, but he, he was he was when he had that one half season when uh, Andy Dalton got injured, he was kind of be the next free agent quarterback, <laughs> and then he got traded to the Raiders. And John Gruden wasn't like almost traded to the Bills or something like that. He was traded to the Bills, I believe, and then traded immediately to the Raiders. It was like a three month window where he was on three different teams. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, so um, to you know put all of that in context, um. Number five would be very high for him. I think that's going to be Tua to Tagovailoa for the Dolphins. But then you start going down, and you have the sixth spot being the L.A. Chargers. The L.A. Chargers need to transition away from Phillip Rivers at some point. Yeah, Phillip Rivers is he's free agent, I believe. He's going a free, to be free agent. agent. He's you know from 2004 class. He's getting up there close to 40. Um, they have Tyrod Taylor on the roster, and I did oh. read a partial bit of an article from ESPN today saying that they're going to give him uh, – all, all the chances in the world to compete for he's, that. He's not going spot. to keep them from drafting a quarterback. He'll, honestly, he'll be, the, be, the best he'll be thing stopgap. Yeah, the, the best thing for them would be to draft a quarterback, start Tyrod Taylor for most, hopefully, all of the season. I didn't even realize Tyrod Taylor was on the Chargers now. Um, That's right, T Mobile. Get your cell service in order. He's been. Wait, what? <laughs> T Mobile. You've never heard that? That's his nickname. Really? Out of Virginia Tech, yep. Okay. I was wondering why you were referencing T-Mobile. It's like, is that the name of their stadium? Like, what is nope. going on? Um, That's my boy, Tyrod T. But, so, I would expect the Chargers draft quarterback. Obviously, they may or may not. Um, this is the first place where I could see one of those big reaches where, because, you know, Justin Herbert, that's the first place we're beginning to say, okay, maybe Jordan Love could be considered a better prospect. Maybe a team likes Jordan Love's tools more than Justin Herbert. Sure. There is a very legitimate debate to be to be had between who could be the better NFL quarterback between Herbert 
and love. And they're very valid arguments for both sides. I'm sure Oregon people will say Justin Herbert's better, and we'll have Utah State people like me and you say Jordan Love could be better. So this is the first place where we could see a reach for Jordan Love. Sick would still be a humongous reach. Jordan Love really shouldn't go in the top half of the first draft, in my opinion. But again, if you ask Maurice Jones-Drew, that's exactly where yeah, he should go. Again, we're dealing with the human element here, and you know if somebody in the Chargers draft war room is like Maurice Jones-Drew, we could see Jordan Love at six. But sure, and, and and it all does come down to personal preference. Everybody yeah. that needs a quarterback is going to have a completely different top five. Yeah. And that's just the reality of it. Definitely. So, I mean, going down the list, I mean, there's teams that could use a quarterback. Carolina Panthers, there's there's a lot to deal with Cam Newton. Maybe, maybe not. I think he's probably out. I think he, I I would think agree. he wants out. And I think the Panthers are. I think they want to move on. Yeah. So they, they could draft a quarterback. I would still say it'd probably be a reach at the seventh spot. I think they have yeah. some things that they could do with that pick while you still have Cam Newton, maybe try to transition. But maybe they try to jump the gun and get that situation yeah. handled beforehand. But maybe, you know, is Cam, Cam on one more year of a contract? I believe so. Okay. I'm not the biggest Panthers. Maybe I'll text Jaden. Yeah, we got to ask Jaden. Hold on. I got to look up Cam Newton's contract. But so, you know, the teams immediately surrounding the the Panthers, though, you have Arizona, who obviously just drafted Kyler Murray. That seemed to be a pretty good situation for them last season. Doesn't look like they're going to draft another quarterback. Um, Jacksonville, uh, you never know with Jacksonville. They have Nick Foles, who they just signed to that four-year deal last season. Um, and then they have Gardner Minshew, who, you know, played admirably well, I would say, in the situation he was put into. Um, so it would surprise me to see the Jaguars draft him. Do you have a Cam Newton update? Oh uh, yeah, so he he is on for one more year. He'll play the twenty twenty season under contract. So yeah, so I mean, the Panthers probably should draft a quarterback in this draft. But I think at seven, if you're looking at draft Jordan Love at number seven, you should probably you try and wait um, for a later round or maybe trade back into the back end of the first round if you feel like somebody's going to take him. The the problem is though is that as as sound as that advice might be. With as many people that are high on Jordan Love, you might not have the opportunity to do so. Yeah. It just depends. A lot of these guys might be more plugged into what other NFL teams are thinking because we all have, sure. you know, what the fans and the analysts think. But There is the, some trickery the, involved the, the, in it. The though. fans and the analysts don't necessarily have the in on what NFL teams think, and that's what matters as far as who goes where. Sure, sure. So um, if the NFL thinks that Jordan Love shouldn't go till the second round, he won't go till the second round. But, again, it only takes one GM. Exactly. But yeah, you mentioned, you know, after the Panthers, you're looking at teams that have quarterbacks, I mean, all the way down until 13th. I would say 12th. With 12th? Derek Carr is, yeah. you know, the quarterback of the, the Raiders at the moment, but they haven't yeah. necessarily been the highest on him in the last season and a half since John Gruden got there. So I wouldn't be necessarily surprised to see them take a quarterback, whether it be Jordan Love or Justin Taking Herbert. him at 12, though, is just such a huge... Like, you're basically kicking Derek Carr out the door at that point. They wanted to sign Tom Brady if he left the Patriots, so I think that <sighs> ship has already sailed. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to see Tom Brady. Leave, <laughs> I know. This is another conversation for you and I to have with your Patriot fandom. But <laughs> that's um, uh, oh, well, I'm going through a crisis with that. I mean, that's not that bad. <laughs> but So, but, I mean, I could, I definitely see what you're talking about with the Raiders. That is definitely a team that you could, could see. And maybe even the Jets. I don't know what they think of Sam Darnold. I think they're more attached to Sam Darnold than uh, I think so. Than the than the Raiders are to Derek Carr. But yeah, that that thirteenth spot is really where I think a lot of people are starting to say the Colts may be taking. That's where I think so many mock drafts have Jordan Love going to the Colts 
that it's almost too like too much of a fit to end up being true. Right. Whereas it just to the point where I'm saying like I will bet heavily against him going to yeah. the Colts just because of all of the fan and blog mock drafts. It seems like a, a smoke a smoke screen of collusion where like <laughs> everyone's saying the Colts, but he's really going to end up at the Buccaneers at 14 or something oh, like that. Oh no, no! If you want to ruin your career, go to the Buccaneers. No, if you want to ruin your career, let's head to the next team in the draft order and head to the Denver Broncos because ever since John Elway got there, <laughs> yeah. sans Peyton Manning, it has well, not been I'll good. I'll tell you what. Jordan Love might be uh, John Elway's guy because he's tall-ish. He's only six four. You know, That's John tall-ish. Elway. John Elway likes his six foot five. Yeah, that's six right. He likes six Peyton Lynch's of the world. His Peyton's a six foot five. Brock Osweiler's a six six. Uh, how tall was that? Uh... Oh, she was his name. It's like an undrafted guy, I think. Um, um uh, Trevor I... Simeon. I don't know if it was Simeon. I think Simeon's a short guy, yeah, though. Simeon's only like 6'3". What a yeah, short he, guy he, was, he is. He was so short for a John Elway guy, but he didn't last very long. Um, maybe it was Simeon. I'm just thinking. I thought there was some undrafted guy that or late-round guy that, really well could that be. was tall. But there were so many of them in this last few yeah. years, I've I've lost track. And yeah, Joe Flacco, too. So Good old 6'6", six six Joe Flacco. <laughs> yeah. I've seen him as tall as, listed as tall as 6'7". Oh, so. gosh. But those vary so much. Um. Yeah, I mean, you could see it. That's the thing. You, you could can see, see it. it. You could see it. I really, because one of the things I said, and this ended up actually sparking somebody questioning my, my, my draft analyst. I feel like I'm salty on that. Hmm. Maybe I am because I've mentioned it three times on the podcast now. So. Draft analyst. What? what, what no, what so, you... well, because I, I I tweeted this thing out about how Jordan Love needs to go to a a team with a solid front office uh, and a good coaching staff. If not, his potential will be a waste in that that prompted somebody to question my uh oh i my, yeah my I, I remember what you're referencing yeah you're, now that i've mentioned that three times i've proven i'm salty about it i forgot about your high school refereeing that's that's yeah that was before we started recording those so maybe i've only mentioned it twice now <laughs> sure but um, the broncos i don't think fit that is much of a historical presence as john elway for a guy with two super bowl rings and yeah. Hall of Fame quarterback he does not show the I mean, the, the, there's, I think there's front office stability. I think you can say that. Um, but as far as player development, quarterback development, he's kind of run that team downhill after a very hot start and basically being, I don't know, did he win executive of the year one of those years or something like that? It wouldn't surprise me. So really hot start for him, but then after, you know, Peyton Manning faded away, so did the Broncos, and they've kind of gone downhill. So, And once you get past Denver, I mean, Atlanta's not taking another quarterback, no. I don't think, as much as – you know, Matt Ryan's kind of been on a downward trajectory. I think they're still kind of committed to him for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and he's still a good quarterback. He's he is a Super Bowl caliber quarterback, in my opinion. You don't give up on that kind of guy. And it's a lot of to do with the guys around him. Sure. And a lot of the the fact they've had a lot of talent either just fall off in terms of yeah. Ability. It seemed like they had two elite running backs at one point, and now they don't have now any they have running zero. backs. <laughs> so they just had talent fall off on its own or just lost. Right. They, that Super Bowl hangover has lasted like four years. Yeah. So, uh, and then you head into the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, Dallas who, ain't doing that. There's all that talk about Dak, but they're going to hang on to him for They're going to hang longer. on to him. Um, didn't they extend him? I don't know if they've actually extended him or not because uh, I feel like I would have remembered that because he was asking for 35 to $40 million per year. Um, but maybe Jerry just pulls a giant middle finger to Dak and says, here's our new quarterback. See you later, Dak. Oh, there's this whole theory we could go into about I, and I need to research more about 
quarterbacks who are really good on the rookie contracts and they get paid and then they don't go to any more Super Bowls. Yeah, I've heard that argued before as well. But so if you head past the Dallas Cowboys, now you're looking at the Miami Dolphins again. So if you <laughs> if they didn't draft Tua, this is where you might be thinking more Jordan Love, which might be better for Jordan Love individually. I don't know if it'd be good for the Dolphins, but because then they'd have drafted I don't know some somebody. You would hope. <laughs> you would hope. Unless they trade it out of it for some reason. It is the Dolphins, so you never know what's going to happen. Dolphins aren't that bad at drafting, are they? They're pretty bad. They yeah, they probably are. Um, I've, not, I've not really followed Dolphins draft trends. Yeah. I don't really follow anybody's draft trends except for the Patriots. But, but also, if you look at him falling to number 18, possibly for the Dolphins again. He wouldn't be falling to number 18. This would still be a reach for Jordan Love at 18. Well, that's fair, but... Um, what what I was going to say, though, is if they do somehow pass up on Tua at five and then somebody does take a reach for Jordan Love before 18, could you imagine the Dolphins missing on both Jordan Love and Tua and then being left with Oh, Yeah, they, they'd nothing? end up taking well, which one of these guys? That Washington guy? KJ Costello, Eason maybe, or, or Jacob Eason. Or the Washington State guy, the guy who threw for like 5,000, the regular uh, season passing right. meter. Yeah. Can we just recycled Luke Falk back into the draft process. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Just no. Uh, so, yeah, you go back into it, and now you have uh, the Raiders again at 19. You have the Jaguars again at 20. Well, see, at Raiders at 19, I could see much more. It'd be more realistic than them at, what was it, 12? Yeah. Yeah. But, again, a first drafting your quarterback in the first round is just literally booting the quarterback you have out. Yeah. Either that year or the next year. Again, don't know if they're necessarily opposed to that or not, but yeah, that's the thing. If they are, if that's what they're doing, I would probably, even if they're targeting love, I would see them more at nineteen, much more than at twelve. Yeah, I would agree with that. And so now you move on, and you have uh, the Philadelphia Eagles at twenty-one. Um, they have a whole situation going on right now. They're still with Carson Wentz. Um, so I don't Remember see when Wentz was going to be one of those next great quarterbacks. We've had like 16 next great quarterbacks and only three of them have panned out. It's unfortunate too, because before he had that injury, actually, he, I, actually I'd say right now, only one of them has panned out Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Uh, but, but at the same time, I, I think prior, like prior to the injury that Carson Wentz uh, sustained in that, that Eagle season that they went to the Super Bowl. Um, he was an MVP level quarterback for that season. Yeah, he so was in his like second year as a starter. I, I don't know. Maybe it's one of the things he just needs to get healthy completely again. Cause I believe he was out for a portion of last season as well. Yeah, he was. So I don't know. But then, so you move on now. So you have uh, Buffalo at number 22, just drafted Josh Allen had a decent season last season. He's going to go into his third year. <laughs> they didn't just draft it. It's yeah. Well, that's fair. It, it feels like they just, drafted it feels it. like it. Yeah. But like, right. he's going to go into the third year. They you're always right. haven't given up on him. I still like Josh Allen. But that's partly because. He's a Mountain West quarterback, and I'm also a sucker for tall quarterbacks with long arms. So I'm kind of like John Elway. As I say, are you John? You're related to John Elway. <laughs> I know you have like family in Colorado. <laughs> yeah, they're not from Colorado. Though. Okay, of course, neither is John Elway. I don't think. Uh, no, he went to college at Stanford. Actually, I think he's from the Bay Area. But anyways. yeah, he's probably from California. All the quarterbacks from California. Yeah, it's true. Tom Brady and a lot. Um, so now you move on to New England at number twenty-three. <laughs> And Maybe. Jason, what would your heart do if I told you the Patriots are on the clock? And Jordan Love's still on there? Jordan I'd... Love's on the board. Roger Goodell walks up to the podium with the 23rd pick in the NFL draft. The New England Patriots have traded Tom Brady to the <laughs> Oakland Raiders. <laughs> <laughs> they can't trade him. He's not signed. Yeah. Well, um, I don't know if signing trades are much much of a thing in 
the NFL. Yeah, it seems to be an exclusively um, an NBA thing. But yeah, uh, but I mean, realistically though, he could fall to number twenty three. There it, has been a couple boards that he have should he should there. fall to at least twenty three. Again, we're a guy who's a late first round prospect, but because he's a quarterback, will get reached on most likely. Sure. Um, I can see it. They're they're probably gonna be in the market for a quarterback. I don't see Bill Belichick taking a quarterback in the first round though, because he's gonna need that to fill out the rest of his team. Sure. I I would make the argument though that you have obviously Jimmy Garoppolo going in the low second round a couple of years ago, and that kind of panning out somewhat for the Forty ers and Bill probably has sees you know sees what the Forty ers have done with jimmy and thinking you know maybe that wasn't too bad of a pick to begin with and then you know obviously Nikhil harry last season being kind of a i don't know if you want to call it um uh an accessory pick if you will of you know not necessarily a need but they went with you know maybe the top talent at the position or at the at the spot in the draft last season it wouldn't necessarily completely surprise me if they did go for a quarterback because for what they need if they especially if tom brady is still you know actually by that point he would have had to have signed a contract so I don't know. Maybe I'm just rambling well, they, on about if, it. Well, if they draft, if they're done with Tom Brady, if they say we're done, then. But they, they do need to plan for the future eventually. Yeah, they well, they have a quarterback. They drafted Jared Stidham in the second or third round last year. Yeah, because everyone loves Jared Stidham. Yeah, I don't know who he was before uh, Patriots drafted him. Not all, I'm not really that high on him myself. Um, but you know, drafting a quarterback in the first two days of draft day. For the second year in a row, that's fair. Yeah, that's harder to see. No, you're um, right. But the thing is, as a team, and the Patriots either stumbled into this method, or I don't know if Bill was going for the long con. But honestly, just observing the NFL in my lifetime, the best way to build a Super Bowl contending team is to have a team place a good quarterback. It can be in the first round. You're more likely to be good in the first round because so many of the great quarterbacks tend to be drafted in the first round. But you can get a guy in the second round, maybe the third round. Really rarely after that. I mean, Dak is even a rare guy for a fourth rounder. But Russell Wilson, second mm-hmm. round. Drew Brees. Uh, Drew third Brees. round. Was Drew Brees in the third? I thought he was like late first Russell round. Russell was. R- Russell was third mm-hmm. round? Okay. Drew Brees was like the first or second pick of the second yeah, round. Yeah, he was. Yeah, so you've got guys who can go in the late first, mid to late first, early second, even somewhat into the third. If you have a good team, because you look at Russell Wilson on the Seahawks, he very well-built team that he stepped into and was a good quarterback for. Tom Brady, you know, stepped into that same thing. Patrick Mahomes, obviously he was a he was a reach at 12, I think, yeah. as far as I remember. So he was more of a late first-round talent, but he stepped into a really good team. Uh, Carson Wentz stepped into a really good team. Deshaun Watson stepped into a pretty good team. Like, all these guys who tend to have early success and show that promise tend to be good quarterback prospects wherever they're drafted from rounds one to three-ish. They step into a good team. And so you if you're just going to draft a quarterback in the first round and not surround anything around him, you become the Colts. You become the Browns. Right. You become the Jets. You become the you know, whoever has drafted a quarterback early and not surrounded him with talent. They end up as this maybe a really good quarterback like Andrew Luck, but they never do anything, or they end up breaking their back carrying their team like Andrew Luck did. And yeah, that's unfortunate that like, kind of the – offensive line and the rest of the position groups kind of came together as Andrew like yeah. kind of had his last injury and go around in yeah. the NFL. But and, and that's why I say when I say Jordan Lennon needs to go to this place as a very raw prospect, he's not going to be like Andrew Luck where Andrew Luck was ready to play in the NFL his junior season yeah. and stayed an extra year in college. Yeah. Jordan Love is not ready to be a day one starter. If he gets thrown into the fire day one, he's going to suck. 
just because he has so much that he needs to work on as far as because he has all the talents, not the things he needs to be a great day-to-day, week-to-week NFL quarterback. And I wouldn't necessarily um, expect him to go into a situation where they want him to be kind of more of that game manager uh, formula of a quarterback. I I just kind of feel like that would be a waste of his, his, his potential talents and not necessarily fit what he can do on the football field. Yeah, he can be your Super Bowl MVP quarterback. Well, granted, if you were a quarterback you in the Super Bowl, you were a Super Bowl MVP because that's just how the that's, award yeah, that's, that's how the award gets given out. Right. You can throw for 55 yards and three picks and still win Super Bowl MVP as a quarterback. But, yeah, so if a team comes in like this way, I think you know, if he gets drafted at 12 by the Raiders and they boot Derek Carr out – and Jordan Love has to start 16 games for John Gruden and the Raiders and that that heck hole of a franchise where it is right now at least. That's just an awful situation for Jordan Love and you begin to squander those talents that are there and if you develop them right, he becomes his ceiling is a Hall of Fame quarterback. You can't say that about every quarterback. No, that's totally true. But his floor is out of the league in two years. So you got to work with them right. John Gruden and the Raiders sounds like a horrible 80s ska punk band. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of how I feel about him as an NFL head coach as well. But anyways. The um, whole situation was a joke. His it, contract, the Raiders. Yeah. You know, it's, I kind of feel bad because I, kind of, I kind of like the Raiders, but. Yeah, no, I mean, there's a lot to like about the Raiders, just not so much in the last year or so. Yeah, well, it's just they've they've been throwing the franchise in the trash almost. Sure. Um, but so just to finish up this this segment um, and kind of wrap things up here, you look at the rest of the draft. You have New Orleans, who is definitely in in uh, in the market for a new quarterback. And actually, I think I don't know Taysom them, Hill, franchise NFL quarterback. That might be a conversation <laughs> for another day because I absolutely lost my mind when I saw uh, the Lamar Jackson hate compared with the Taysom Hill. Uh, appraisal and I, I yeah I don't get it at all man I'll just say that I don't see anything and then and then the 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 tweets following that from people who are clearly BYU fans picking out isolated clips of him throwing like 30 yard passes in college and saying Taysen's been doing it since BYU Taysen's been getting injured since BYU that's what he's been doing he's, he's also been overthrowing shown. receivers by 10 yards exactly. he's never shown at BYU that he was an NFL quarterback but anyways um yeah, we he, look. Hills, well, one last thought on him. Yeah. Taysom Hill's got Tim Tebow syndrome. That's what he's got. To be fair, though, Taysom Hill has something that Tim Tebow never had, and that is a willingness to be on a football team and do his part. Okay, Tim- but except now he doesn't. That's the problem, though. Fair, fair. But ah, that's. That's why I say he's got he's caught Tim Tebow syndrome. You're right. He you're didn't right. have it. You're right. Now he does. So I, right. I think we're on the same page here. It's just. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm just frustrated. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just laughing my head off at it. <laughs> Sometimes you get frustrated or laugh, and I yeah. do both. This time, I'm just laughing. I'm yeah. just enjoying the ride. So um, if we look at the, the rest of the league, the possible Jordan Love scenarios, let's just run through them real quick. Minnesota, probably not. No, I think they, they are fine with their quarterback situation. Miami, again, somehow, their they're third first-round pick. If again, they somehow haven't drafted right. a quarterback by then, Jordan Love will go to the Dolphins. I, I would agree. Uh, Seattle's not moving on anytime no. soon. Baltimore, I don't not know, they, even They close. might be looking for a quarterback. I mean... That scrub they got right now. That's right. Well, maybe they'll just do a switch with the. Uh, they got New a Orleans. running. They got a running back at quarterback. Yeah, they got a. Why don't you take a special teamer and put him in there at quarterback? <laughs> see what he can do. 
You ever seen that guy gun down kicks? That's right. Um, all right, Tennessee. As weird as a situation as Tennessee is, it worked out well for them last season, so I don't expect them to they move on. They should move on. They should. If they stick with – it's Ryan Tannehill, isn't it? It is. I was – Doubting Slash myself, Marcus, for, Marcus. I was I was doubting myself for like ten seconds. Like it's Ryan Tannehill, isn't that was the guy, right? Dude was the best quarterback for the last however many weeks it was. Um, Titans fans will tell you all about. It. Just ask one; they'll tell you how he was the best quarterback statistically you know, for the last five or six or however many it was games, and they beat the Ravens. But I can this the whole situation screams of it will not happen again. It was an aberration, yes. and if they try and bank on it, it was like Ryan Fitzpatrick pulled a really good year out of his butt. Was I think it was a Pro Bowl or one year for the Jets. They ran it back, and what did he do? He went back to being Ryan Fitzpatrick. Here's the thing, though. I, I completely agree, and I'm looking at it, I think, from the same lens of they had a team that was so good that they could beat the Patriots and the Ravens in the playoffs with Ryan Tannehill playing very limited roles from the quarterback position. So if you get somebody in there who's a step up from Ryan Tannehill with the pieces surrounding him, Derrick Henry in the running game and the defense that they have, they could be a very, very good team. Yeah, and see, this is the kind of situation where you have a Derrick Henry running back in. I think there's, he's like a free agent, but I don't, he's not going anywhere. I don't. They're not so. going to let him go. They'll t- franchise tag him or something. I yeah. think Derrick Henry probably likes it there. But this is a situation where you take Jordan Love right in the wheelhouse where he probably should go, 29th. They take him, and maybe, you know what, maybe they do keep on Ryan Tannehill for an entire season. That would honestly be the ideal. Maybe you could start Jordan Love if he really shows improvement later and when Ryan Tannehill inevitably shows that he's On not. decline? Yeah. Goes back to a wide <laughs> was, receiver? Was never good enough. Yeah. But maybe you can stick him in for the last few games. Maybe if you're having a 5-11 and 11 season or trending towards that, maybe you're like 5-9 and nine or something like that. Stick him in, let him run the offense, start the last five or six games of the season. That could be a really good situation for him, perhaps better than the Patriots because the the Titans have some pieces around them. Yeah, they aren't necessarily a mess of a front office. They're not like an elite front office, but they're fine. You know, Mike Vrabel's a decent enough coach. I think. I think he's he's one of the better young head coaches yeah, in the I, league I right th- now. I think his late season might have overrated him a little bit because he struggled early on. But yeah, maybe you know all coaches can struggle and then you know suddenly become a little bit better. It's kind of random the way coaching tends yeah. to work and where success is. So this could be a – I'd probably prefer the Titans over – like if we're looking from Jordan Love's perspective. As a Patriots fan, I'd kind of like to see Jordan Love. Sure. But for Jordan Love, the Titans could be one of the better spots for him because you're going to a pretty decent team yeah, in a good situation that has a quarterback that can hold over until he's ready and developed some. So that could be one of the better spots for him. I think you've talked me into it. I think actually that might be – maybe the best position for him looking at just kind of all things considered. Um, yeah, I totally agree. And then you look at, you know, obviously the last three teams, Green Bay, San Francisco, and Kansas City, neither of them are taking a quarterback anytime soon. So, yeah, maybe that's his last possible scenario to end up as a first rounder. And then obviously you go through the second round and who knows what could happen at that point. Teams obviously can start trading up at that point. At yeah, that's that's where things get confusing. The Colts do have the 34th pick. Yeah. Um, and the Chargers at 37, and, and you're going almost through the same right, same order as the as the first round. I think the point as it tends to be as as it <laughs> tends to be as an order tends to be. Um, I think the point of this exercise, though, and other than just having some good old fashioned fun, was to kind of at least in my mind assess where Jordan Love is probably going to end up because 
you know, I think I would agree with you being his grades probably a second round grade, but seems like he's going to go in the first round. It's because so, he's a quarterback. And it's because he's a quarterback. You're right. And teams are always going to be quarterback hungry, especially when things aren't going well with your franchise. And like you alluded to uh, not that long ago, you kind of have to start building your franchise around a quarterback or already have a pretty good situation to begin with. So, um, yeah, we're about mm, three. Yeah, when is the draft? I can never No, remember. we're about, yeah, about two and a half months away from the actual draft taking place. Yeah, it's April. Isn't um, it? It's April, end of April, and it's going to be taking place in Las Vegas. So that'll be fun for the Raiders fans if they completely botch that situation in front of their home fans, their brand new home fans. Um, but we'll see, obviously, when that comes closer, and we'll definitely talk about Jordan Love and the whole process uh, post the Combine, post-pro day, heading up to the draft. But, yeah, that's been this edition of the Statesman Sports Desk Podcast. Um, as always, thanks, guys, for listening. Uh, you can find us at Twitter, at the Statesman Sports Desk, at uh, the Utah Statesman. You can find me at DREN underscore sports. You can find Jason Walker at the Jaywalk 67 And, um, yeah. Thanks for everything, guys. We'll be back next week. Take care. Adios. Okay, bye. You just have to do the sign off now, okay? <laughs> All right, bye.